0: A good time of worship. All right. Um, You can see there the board on the side of the wall. If you're new with us or... Uh, you've, you're visiting, some, I see some of our Musenberg congregation. By the way, welcome guys, good to have you with us. Awesome. And, uh, but um, we, we're in busy uh, in a series which call, is called Engaged, and, and we're focusing, and we have been focusing on the fact that being a follower of Jesus is to be part of a community that is passionate about seeing people come to faith in Jesus. Can I say that again? Being a follower of Jesus is to be part of a community that is really seriously passionate about seeing people come to faith in Jesus. And people come to faith in Jesus when people like you and me are intentional about living supernatural lives. May I say to you that Christianity is is a supernatural lifestyle. Uh, By that, I don't mean that you're a strange person. I mean by that, that we live by the Spirit. It means that God has given to us a new Spirit. It means that God has written His laws on our hearts and on our minds, and because we trust in the Holy Spirit and live by the Spirit, we are supernaturally different. It's because of Him that we're different. Not only that... People come to faith in Jesus when we are intentional about being the loving community that we are meant to be. You remember Jesus' words, They will know you are my disciples by the way you what? Okay, you got it. Not only that, when we're intentional about talking about what God is doing in our lives. I I don't know about you, but the way that I figure this out is if I've been with Jesus, I'm going to talk about Jesus. You know, you you struggle to talk about Jesus when you haven't spent time with Jesus if Jesus isn't a significant part of your life and my life. And not only that, we're not only talking about supernatural lives, loving community, talking about God, but being intentional about allowing God to use us in the lives of other people. You know what? This is my little thing this morning, but I believe the world will be a different place when people find out that Christianity is way more than coming to church on Sundays. There's kind of an understanding in people's minds out there that often Christianity is about coming to church on Sunday. And the only way they will discover it's more than that is when we tell them, when we talk to them, when we demonstrate that by what we say. And what we do. Now in John's gospel, we read a very, very well-known story. And it's what happened to a Samaritan woman who met Jesus. She was going about her daily routine of collecting water. And uh, she had a conversation with Jesus that had a massive impact on her life. So much of an impact that when she goes back into her village, people come out to meet Jesus as well. All because of a conversation. Just a conversation. So let's read about it. You know the story. But a few things to highlight. Now, John says in in chapter 4 and verse 4, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, that's not just one of those ob statements. Going through Samaria was a huge issue because Jews wouldn't go through Samaria. It was a place they would avoid because they didn't want to touch base and come into contact with Samaritans. And so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Yeah, had the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was, by the way, do you notice Jesus got tired? Jesus was he was human like we are human. He was flesh and blood like we are flesh and blood. And so he got tired and he needed to rest like we need to rest. And he was tired from his journey, and he sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, in the Jewish calendar, the sixth hour was midday. It was about 12 o'clock. That's very significant for us to know, because it's the time in the Middle East everybody would be doing what? Resting. Here you've got a woman drawing water at the time of the day when everybody is resting in the heat of the day. It tells you a little bit about her. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, I, I want you to understand, when Jesus says this to her, he's breaking every cultural rule in the book. Don't think this is just a conversation Jesus is having with a woman. We don't live in that in, that, uh, in those times, but, but what he was doing was breaking every rule in the book when he said, will you give me a cup of water? We'll talk about that in a minute. And his disciples, they tell us, John tells us, had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, look at her response. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? She's like, what? what's going on over here? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. There's the issue. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you've got nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds. And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman, you can see she's confused, said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty again and I won't have to keep coming here to draw water. And he said to him, I want you to, isn't this interesting? Jesus has been talking about this water, living water, you're never thirsty, and he changes the subject. Has that ever happened to you before? You've been talking to somebody and you kind of things are going in a way that you're not comfortable, and somebody just changes the subject. That's what Jesus does over here. He says to her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Now I want to press pause here for a second and give you a slightly different angle on what I believe is significant here. You will remember in those days that women could not divorce men. Only men could divorce women. Not only that, that a man could divorce a woman for any and every reason. You burn the food, you're out. I found another woman, you're out. And I'm guessing over here, there is a possibility that this woman has been rejected by five men over and over and over again. And now she's living with a man possibly because she is needing somebody to look after her. Because if your family wasn't around, you had to find somebody to look after you as a woman. And she's ashamed now because she's living with this man and obviously ashamed of her past because that's why she comes in the middle of the day. Women carrying a huge amount of shame. Verse 19, Sir, the woman said, the lights are starting to come on I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, "Me, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. Jesus is saying there's going to come a time when which hill you worship on is irrelevant. It's the heart that you come with in worship that's important. God is spirit, and His worshippers must worship Him in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know, I don't know how she'd heard this, I know that Messiah called Christ Is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus said, I who speak to you am He. Now in this unexpected encounter, because that's what it was, with this Samaritan woman, we discovered something profound over here when it comes to evangelism how love and compassion opens the way for deeper conversations with people. You see, when the Samaritan woman comes to the well where Jesus is resting, there are quite a few obstacles that stand in the way of them even having a conversation. Never mind what they talk about. The, most, the first thing is the most obvious, they didn't know each other. Have you ever been in a situation that I love to do this. I like to go and sit. You go to the doctor and everybody's sitting in the consulting room and they don't know each other. Have you looked that in the cell phone, reading the magazine? Nobody looks at you. Nobody says anything to each other. It's weird. Or have you noticed what happens when people get in a lift? Everybody looks up at the numbers. We We are people that sometimes struggle when there are strangers around us we don't know. We all do. This is one of those situations they don't know each other. But not only that, there were some really, really deep cultural divides between them. As I said earlier on, the Jews would avoid going through Samaria even if it was the shortest route. Now remember, you weren't Ubering, you weren't in your motor car and you didn't have a motorbike. You were walking. Now, when you're walking, I don't know about you, but I always try the shortest distance between two points. I mean, it makes sense to me. Even if it's, you know, sometimes don't walk on the lawn, but somehow we get there because we want the shortest. And, 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 and over here, you've got the Jews intentionally avoiding this area and these people because they don't want to touch the unclean and be with the unclean. And then here we've got a woman who would never dream of having a conversation with a strange man who is not her husband. You just didn't do those things in that culture. And we know that still happens today. Listen to what the Samaritan woman says to him. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? It's like she's not saying, you know, how dare you ask me for a drink? She says, I'm a Samaritan, you're Jew. You know we're not supposed to talk to each other. And then his disciples, of course, when they come back from doing the shopping at Pick and Pay, he says, they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Just wasn't done. Here's something that I want to leave with you this morning. The fact that Jesus speaks to her is because this woman has value in his eyes. Here's a woman, I want you to put this together. Rejected over and over, divorced over and over, living with a man, full of shame, embarrassed about her life. And here's a man who said, I value you just by the fact that he speaks to her. And one of the core values, if I can use that word, of evangelism is love and compassion for people. Have you noticed that the Bible... Do you know the most famous verse in the whole Bible? It's John 3.16. What does it say? For God so loved the world. And He demonstrated His love by the cross. And what happened on the cross? Or Paul says in Romans 5, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. while we were sinners? Christ died for us. You see... For me, in this story, Jesus demonstrates that some of the barriers to reaching out to others are often overcome by those small things we do that show love and compassion. When we intentionally go out of our way to show people that we care. I want to use that word intentional because there's times when we need to go against the flow. And I'm not just talking our culture. Sometimes what's going on in our own hearts. Let me suggest this to you. Give it a try. The next time you talk to somebody, a stranger, go out of your way to show them that you love them, that you're interested in them, and that they have value to you. You'll be amazed what happens in your conversation. You know that second only to loving God is loving our neighbors as ourselves. I don't know if you remember that uh, Jesus told a parable about that. And uh, somebody tried to get very technical with Jesus when he told this parable. Because you always had these theologians who wanted to try and test Jesus. So, Jesus is saying, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, who is my neighbor? And Jesus thought, great opportunity. Jesus always looked at this as an opportunity. And so, what he does is he tells the parable, which all of you know of the Good Samaritan. And his point in the parable is this you know you love people when you demonstrate it to them by what you do for them, by what you, the way you treat them, and by what you say to them. Love in the Bible is always demonstrated. It's not a warm, fuzzy feeling you get. It's not that you feel so loving when you came out of church. It's all about what you do when you don't feel like it. Let me read this end of this parable just because I think it's significant. But interestingly, a Samaritan. Samaritan woman, Samaritan man here doing the loving. As he traveled, came to the man who'd been, he got hijacked. We're familiar with that in South Africa too. And when he saw him, he took pity on him and he went to him and he bandaged his wounds. You notice it started, he had pity. He felt something for the guy. Then he goes and he bandages his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, which were the medicines of those days. Then he took a man and his own donkey, put him in his car, and took him to an inn and took care of him. That's another step. And the next day he took two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. And then, of course, Jesus drops the clangor. Yeah, it is. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Like he's going to ask you that. The reply is like so obvious. The one who had mercy on him. If you don't mind, I'd like to put it like this. We have to see people as people, not projects. You're all familiar with that statement John Maxwell makes. But for the value that it has, let me say it again. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Will you ask the Holy Spirit to help you love people like us? It's not odd. It's not big stuff. It's actually just sometimes how we have a conversation. But there's another thing, and there's a lot of things here which obviously don't have time to do all of them, but there is another thing that needs to be highlighted. And I think it's something we as as the church and as Christians need to know, and it's this, that evangelism is for every individual. It's not just for people behind pulpits. You notice what the pulpit is here for Jesus? It's a well. That's his his pulpit. It's a well where he's taking a a break. That's that's the setting for a conversation that's going to change this this woman's whole life and impact the village that she lives in. And I'm hoping that I'm correct in this, and I think I am. But what's happened in Christian circles is somehow a belief has crept in that evangelism is for evangelists those who are the gifted evangelists for those who stand behind pulpits and preach you know what's happened oh, men most of the church gets paralyzed when you think like that listen to the words of Paul we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us to Timothy when he writes to his young disciple, to the man he's been mentoring, he says to him, do the work of an evangelist. I think the reason the gospel spread the way that it did was due to ordinary individuals who preached the gospel wherever they went. You got it in Acts 8 there. Those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And may I suggest this morning, when we deal with this deception, This deception that there are certain people God uses and the rest of us He ain't going to use. When we do that, every shopping mall, every university, every classroom, every hospital, every retirement center, every sports field becomes an opportunity to do evangelism. See, as soon as you deal away with that lie, We've got one of our older ladies in this church She's, in fact, a founder member and husband died uh, a while back, Yvonne Brummer. She lives in a retirement uh, center, Constantia Place. Every time I talk to her, she tells me of how she's reaching out to people that God has put on her heart. You know, how old is Yvonne now? Anybody know know How old, do you know old she is she? She's in her 80s, I think. Well, in her 80s. She's told me she led a 91-year-old lady to the Lord down today. I mean, come on. But then, I can't go away from this without touching on it. We discover that evangelism also involves the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit. Have you noticed in in this encounter with the Samaritan woman, something unusual happens which has a profound impact on her? After some really confusing conversation about worship, about where Jews worship and Samaritans worship, Jesus changes the subject. Did you notice? And he changes the subject and he tells her to go and call her husband. And the next words that come out of his mouth are an indication that something deeper is happening here. Jesus said, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. How in the world did he know that? See, Jesus was a human being just like you and me. I'm not saying He wasn't the God-man. Don't misunderstand me. In His identity, He was God and man. But when He lived on this earth, He limited Himself to be just like you and me. And He had the Spirit upon Him, just as we have. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the Holy Spirit revealed something to Jesus in that moment. This is what this woman's been going through. We call it... A word of knowledge. And being sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Alert to the fact that something extraordinary may be required for someone to overcome their unbelief is an important aspect of evangelism. Do you know this word, the turning point for this woman came with that word of knowledge? Up to then was a lot of confusion. That's what began to unlock things for her. She began to say, oh, maybe this man is a prophet. And then later on she hears he's Messiah. Paul reminds us of this in his uh, his own ministry in in Romans 15. I'll not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done. By the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews reminds us, this salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. I know for many of you, this whole issue of signs and wonders and miracles is still a murky place. I think many Christians struggle with signs, wonders, and miracles as well. But let me say to you today, they are one of the tools that God is using to unlock people's hearts. It is what it is. And sometimes when we are living with doubt around this stuff, it can actually hinder the work of the Lord in somebody else's life. I think God can give anyone a word of knowledge. I think God can use anyone to pray for somebody to be healed. I think God can use anyone to share testimony about what God has done. For a while, I've personally had a sense of God saying something to me about the church as I've been praying about us and for us as a church. And the word that the Lord has put on my heart is this. Give the ministry of the church back to the people, which is a very weird-sounding thing. But as, as I've been pondering that and thinking about it and praying around that, I've realized that far too much focus and reliance is put on the full-time staff of the church and not enough focus on the fact that God has entrusted all of us to do the work he has called us and I think if that's happened to you repent of that today that's got to be broken because if that happens it paralyzes the church You can't say, well, we pay the pastors so they're going to do all the stuff they preach about on Sundays. Then we might as well just preach to one another in the pastors' meeting. I want to say to you, you have the Spirit as much as I have the Spirit. You are children of God as much as I'm a child of God. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit as much as I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's for all of us. And God needs His church to be free again and get on with what He's called them to do. There's some of you here this morning who have the gift of evangelism. I mean, I so, am so jealous of you. I shouldn't say that, but it's true. Like, you just like, talk to people and they give their lives to the Lord. Like, how does that work? You know, you've got, just like, there's some people, everything they, every time they talk to me, it's, I oh, witnessed to this person, I spoke to that person. I, it's like, wow, that's amazing stuff. And if you're one of the crowd like me, and I don't think I've got a particularly, I've got a gift of evangelism, but I, but I think for the rest of us, God says, do the work of an evangelist. <laughs> You see, you're never off the hook. We're all supposed to be about this task that we're looking at over here today. But then there's something important we must neglect, and I'm going to finish with this. Evangelism begins with prayer. There are far too many things we do without praying. I think I've got that, there's Ephesians verse. Can you put it up there? There we go. Here's Paul writing to the Ephesian church. He's saying to him, pray in the Spirit. And he says, pray especially for me that words will be given to me that I will faithfully and boldly proclaim the mystery. This is the great theologian. This is the man who's put his life on the line. He's saying, won't you pray for me? Friends, this morning, I want to ask you, and I want to do so lovingly and gently because there's one thing I hate, and that's legalism. But I want to call you to come and pray together as a church again. Because if, if, we're going to be, if we're going to be, there's a battle out there. There's a huge battle that's going on out there for the lives of people and the souls of people. And friends we've got the advantage. We start with an advantage. We're in Christ, we have the spirit. We're not starting at a disadvantage. Eh? We're starting with an advantage. Many of us think we've got a disadvantage. We need to change that. But when we get to calling on the name of the Lord, I will tell you what happens. He moves. And then you see people like the Pauls of this world having an encounter with the Lord on the Damascus Road and His life changes because the church breaks. And I, when we talk about this thing called evangelism and sharing our faith out there and all of these things that happen, let me tell you where it begins. The work of the ministry is here. On your knees and on my knees. Now I want to invite you, and I really want to put this out as a, I don't know what, call it a challenge if you like. Change your diaries. Do something. But let's pray together. Because we are not here to have nice times in this building. We are not here to come away and say, how was your week? Well, we had such a lovely church service. I think God put us out. God has put us in the city because He cares about the brokenness around us. I think God deeply cares about broken lives. That's why Jesus got criticized so much because He spent time with tax collectors and sinners and people like that of this world because He said, I'm here for them. And then He said, I'm setting you as my church aside for them. And I, I love having a good service here, by the way. Like the, the Bring It On, Lord. But we've got, to, we've got to see beyond this to those broken lives out there. And Jesus gave his life on a cross so that they wouldn't have to be broken anymore. And I'm here because he did that for me. And you there because he did that for you, and you there because somebody spoke to you, prayed for you, did something for you that ended up in you coming to Christ. Friends, we cannot waste, and we cannot ignore the greatest thing that's ever happened in history, is when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, that men and women would be healed. God change our city. Amen just pray yeah not at the moment i just feel we need to just pray I think Dale you had something that you wanted to share just while we were singing those songs um, this morning i just felt such a sense that there were people who were singing those songs or reading the words but it wasn't it didn't make any sense to them maybe it was because you don't know Jesus or because unbelief has crept in and I really felt and I didn't know what John was going to preach about but I really felt that the Lord said we need to make space